prepping food for over the summer for our uh, Sunday school time, and also Nicole, who organized that and put together all kinds of games and activities and that kind of thing. So, and I don't, are either one of them here? Maybe not. Well, tell them thank you when you see them. <laughs> um, uh, just a reminder, September 18, we're having our annual business meeting. We're going to have it, uh, we'll do regular church service. Then after that, we're going to have a potluck, and then we'll do uh, the meeting after that. And it should be a good time. I'm, I'm excited about that. Wednesday Night Live starts this week. Um, both the junior high and the high school are going to have special kickoffs. Um, there is, Deb is leading a, a Bible study on Genesis. Dot is doing a, a women's Bible study on Seamless. So there's some, some pretty good stuff that, that's going to be happening. And also next week, the Young Adult Sunday School is going to be starting up. Uh, we'll be meeting uh, here in this classroom right here at the end of the hallway. So uh, I think that's it for now, um, for announcements. Yeah, so let's have a word of prayer and uh, continue on. Heavenly Father, thank you for a uh, good and a glorious day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you with freedom and with abandon. Heavenly Father, we pray that... Uh, would be sensitive to your spirit, to your truth, to your leading this morning. God, our desire is to meet with you here and to give you the praise and the glory that you deserve. In your name, amen. Shall we stand together and
as we get ready to have a a couple moments of prayer, a few things to consider. Um, uh, One, uh, uh, Lavira is in the hospital for a knee infection. She had a knee replacement about a year and a half ago, and it started to get infected, and so she's in there on some kind of antibiotics. If if you want more, she's in Hastings right now, and uh, if you want more details on that, uh, talk to Ken. He can give you specifics on that, but that's one thing to be in prayer for. Uh, and the other thing, some really good news, um, in kind of our broader church community family, uh, over the last weekend, we had two adults uh, do prayers of salvation this past weekend. So that's pretty, like, that's, that. yeah, someone clap for that. Like, that's good. Um, uh, Luke 14, you know, it gives the the, the parable of, of the lost coin and, and the lost sheep, and it says there's more rejoicing in heaven for the one uh, you know, person who, who repents and then for the 99 righteous who need no repentance. So some big, big celebration in heaven this weekend that, that we're pretty excited about. So uh, something to be in, in prayer for as, as well, too. So uh, let's have a few moments of prayer together, shall we? Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you just with, with the, the joys and the burdens that are on our hearts. God, each of us arrived with a week's worth of uh, baggage, luggage, God, that thing that is so dominant in our mind that's, that's uh, just pressing in on our thoughts. Lord, we just lay that before you this morning, and we give that to you and we say, here it is, Lord. And God, it's our desire to be in right relationship with you. And so, God, we also ask, is there, is there any way that we have offended or grieved your Holy Spirit this past week, Lord? so we repent of that, we apologize for that, we turn from that, we commit to not do that again. And Lord, we receive your your forgiveness, your love, your acceptance. God, we praise you. You're beautiful. You're faithful. You pursue us. You speak to us. good things for us. Lord, we pray for our families that they would know and love you and serve you. Their kids, their grandkids, some of those great-grands, their parents. God, these people are dear to us and we love them. you show us how to lead our families well in a way that, that honors you, glorifies you. Lord, teach us how to, how, how to lead and disciple and model in our homes. Lord, it is such a delight. It is a gift to us that we get to work with you to see thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you for the, the privilege of being that. And Lord, this morning we just reaffirm that, that our life is yours. Take us, lead us, guide us. We give you everything. 
want you to imagine a scenario for me. So let's pretend that your family and my family have decided that, that we need to go on vacation together, right? Because apparently Disneyland in California is just super fantastic, and you've been dying to go, and I've been dying to go, and we'll just bring along the kids. And, uh, and so we decide that we want a vacation together, right? Now, California is many hours away, um, but it's okay. We're going to road trip this thing, right? And it's just, it's just going to be a blast, right? Well, how many hours, you know, together in the same cargo van, you know, before your family and my family realize that we just really vacation differently? You know, because one family is like, we stop at like every tourist trap along the way. I mean, even the rest stops, we get out and do selfies, you know? And the other family is like, we don't stop on like, until. Like, we just sun up to sundown, we drive five miles over, and we just eat in the car, you know. And one family is going, you know, we're very conservative in how we spend our money. Like, we don't, we're very careful. And the other family is going, I'm on vacation. Like, I've been waiting 51 weeks to spend this money. Like, I'll just give it away to whoever, you know. And one family's going like, no, we camp out, and sometimes we sleep in the van, and I just tell the kids it's fun. The other family's like, nope, it is Hilton's all the way, like we drive out of the way. You know, like after a while, you're just going to realize, oh, um, maybe we should have talked through this just a little bit. And it's not necessarily that, that either way of doing vacationing is wrong or more holy or more righteous. I mean, you might like to think it is, but really it's not. You know, I mean, it's not like one family is, you know, horribly sinning and the other family is just so great. They're just different ways of getting from point A to point B. I mean, we, we've got the same final destination. We want the same thing. Mickey Mouse, here we come. Like, I mean, that's the end goal. But we're just finding that there's a little bit of tension between getting here and there. Well, I mean, interject values... And the kind of the whole thing around vision and mission and strategic plan and that kind of thing that, um, that we've been working on. And I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, this is really kind of the culmination of almost three years' work. Um, or, I, or maybe discernment would be a, a better word. Uh, you know, when I first came here uh, almost three years ago, the question was, like, Lord, what do you want from us? Like, Henderson and B. I mean, we... You know, I, I, I show up, I, I'm this young guy, I've never pastored before. It's like, according, kind of on how you do the math, the second oldest NV church in all the U.S. conference in like Canada and the U.S. And my first thought when I got here was just like, don't sink the ship. Don't sink the ship. Don't sink the second oldest ship in the entire fleet, you know. But, but beyond just kind of self-preservation, it's like, Lord, where do you want to take us? I mean, assuming that we've got another 140 years of adventure— like, we need some clarity on where that is and, and where we're going to go and, and, and how we're going to get there, you know, to be able to articulate some of that. And so for the last several years, really, myself and the leadership board, um, you know, this just kind of every so often it, it comes up and we've been methodically working on this and just saying, like, what do we value and, and what's important? And, and we're, we're part way in, in figuring out some of this stuff. There, there's more stuff to... To figure out, but today is kind of a, a, a pretty significant step. 
you know, step one in all this is, is really just understanding on why did Jesus create the church? Which, you know, you'd think that's maybe very simple, but yet I bet I'd get a lot of different answers from a lot of different people on why the church exists. And so you really have to, to, to kind of come to a consensus on, okay, why did Jesus create the church, the global church? You know, kind of at a global level. Now, um, within the MB Confession of Faith, they articulate that for us. So that was kind of easy to figure out. You just had to do a little bit of homework. But, you know, according to the Confession of Faith, that's really rooted in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, that kind of thing. And then Great Commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So at a global level, you know, we're saying, all right, those, those are kind of the two big things. Okay, but now specifically, Henderson NB, like how are we unique? Like, fascinating question, and I'm still working on an answer to this. Henderson and B, how are we unique amongst 10,000? Like, when the guy first said that, it really kind of rattled my cage, because I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out how we're unique amongst three, you know? Like, I'm still trying to figure out FEBC and Bethesda, and like how we're, so 10,000, you're kind of pushing my boundaries. But he was really right on that. Like, Henderson and B, how are we unique amongst 10,000? Our culture, our history, our heritage, our God-given future, what it is that God is calling us to, all of that. And, and so what is our, our unique calling? So today and, and next week we're going to go over um, a vision statement. You know, when, when people talk about this, you, uh, you know, they'll talk about mission and vision and strategic plan and values, and they're kind of all different things. But um, and, and it's very interesting because actually if, if we were to sit down and spend enough time together— you live your life by, by a mission, by a vision, by a strategic plan, and by a set of values. I mean, you, you probably don't realize it. You probably haven't put those labels on it or perhaps articulated it. But all of us have that in our life, whether we realize it or, or not. Um, mission and vision kind of answers the why question, why we do what we do. A strategic plan answers the question how we will accomplish that goal. Values answer the question what practices are important to us. Um, so we might say, you know, our mission, our vision is that we want to go to Disney World. Our strategic plan is that we're going to drive there together, all together, in a bus, in one vehicle. Our values are be, you know, McDonald's three times a day, um, and a little bit of Hilton, you know, you know that kind of thing. So. Um, so that's just kind of some of the, these different terms. What we're going to go over today kind of dabbles a little bit in the what and why. Um, we have more work to do on kind of figuring out the, the specifics um, and, and the values, but, but this is what we're looking at today. As a church, it, it's important that we be able to articulate what it is that we are doing, why we are doing it, and, and, how, we're, and how we're going about doing it. And uh, it can actually... You know, businesses tend to be, I think, a, a little bit more clear on understanding what they're doing, why they're trying to do it. Um, even nonprofits tend to have a lot more uh, clarity on this. Um, I think for small churches, it's easy to get lost in this and just say, yeah, we just exist and we have a good time and we love potlucks and, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, a, a good vision statement, in my opinion, is short, like one sentence long. It's memorable. And, and it says, for us, this is what success looks like. Like, this is, this is how, how we define it. Uh, having a clear vision statement does a couple things for us. For starters, it, it clarifies our direction and our purpose, right? We have 
X number resources. We only have so much seating capacity. Uh, we have so many funds in the bank. We have so many, you know, manpower, you know, volunteers. Um, so are we going to, well, I mean, we're going to build orphanages. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to do radio evangelism. We're, we're just going to eat together a lot. Are we going to meet in homes? Are we going to petition the government for certain things? We're going to do all night prayer meetings. We're going to do all the above. We're going to do some of the above. If I were to ask all of you to, to write on a piece of paper, what is the purpose of Henderson MB? Uh, most likely, all of you would write something different. And, and that actually can be a bit of a problem because when we all write something different, it means that we're all trying to walk in a different direction. We just finished watching the Olympics, right? One of the events was rowing. Uh, I remember um, uh, one guy I was reading, he, he talked about rowing and kind of the, the group rowing. And, and so their, their rowing guide or master or guru or whatever it was, so they sit on the boat. And he says, I'm going to say go, and then I just want all of you to paddle as fast as you ha- can and as hard as you can, and we'll see how long it takes us to go from here to cross the line. So he says go, and they all just like paddle like frantic, and they eventually cross the line, and they're exhausted, and, and they're worn out, and their time is horrible says, all right, now we're going to do it differently. He says, I'm going to tell you to go, but I'm going to call out when you do the stroke, like when you paddle. And so they did it again, and he called them out, and all of them had synchronized paddling. They got there way faster, and they were far less exhausted, because everything was working in synchronization, you know, towards towards kind of this, this one end. And so w- one of the things that, that vision provides is just clarity on direction and purpose. Um, it, and it helps us determine what to engage in and what once-in-a-lifetime opportunities you walk away from. It, th- those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities are so alluring, but yet they can be so distracting and actually not that helpful. I mean, just, and, I mean really, like just because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity doesn't mean you should do it. Like you might have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have an affair, but that would be a really dumb idea. Okay, so as we're engaging in activities, having clarity around vision, we can say, yes, this is what we work on. And yes, you're right, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but it's, but it's not for us. Like, that's just going to be a distraction. Like, that's not, that's not our, our gear. And so it helps us to say yes to some things and, and no to others. Clarity on vision and, and mission and direction also gives us a measuring rod for success. I mean, is our church successful? Well, your first thought is probably, well, how do we measure success? And that is a really good, important question. I mean, once again, if I were to give every, you know, everyone a piece of paper and say, is our church successful? And then how do you measure success? We'd probably get a lot of different answers. Um, when, when a church doesn't have a clearly understood mission vision, then each person judges like not just the pastor, but all of church leadership by their own success matrix. And that is where churches and leadership can get into so much trouble because after a while, that's where you, you know, you really start to see, you know, pastor, you're not visiting enough people. Pastor, you know, you don't spend enough time in sermon prep. Uh, church leadership, you're not doing enough stuff with mission. Uh, you know, church lead, you know, why don't you all play musical instruments? 
Uh, you're not working hard enough. You're not spending enough time with family. You know, everyone has their own success matrix, and eventually they start to get frustrated because they feel like the, the church is not being successful. And what happens is that both the pastor and, and really the church leadership kind of are forced having to play kind of whack-a-mole on, on who's the, the last person who's kind of upset or disgruntled about what's not happening. It's not that anything is bad. It's just that we don't have kind of synchronized communication on, hey, this is the thing that we're doing. This is what we're committed to. This is our priority. And this is like level two, level three, level nine, you know, um, that kind of stuff. Um, there was actually a church in Canada that, that where I interacted a little bit with some of their leadership. I think it was over in Ontario. And they just said, look, we don't do missions. Like, we feel called 100% to our local community, so we don't invest in missions at all. Like, we don't get money, we don't go, nothing. Like, we're just 100% in this community. And, you know, I mean, you might think, well, that's odd, you know, and at the time I was working for a missions agency, you know, but, and people might come up and say, well, you should do more missions, but they can say, nope, we don't do missions. Like, that's, that's our vision statement is 100% local, so we're saying no to, to these other things. Um, vision, mission, uh, they, they provide inspiration. The, 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 the best vision statements are like a sentence long, and, and they're short, they're very memorable, they're clear, they're to the point, and, and they're inspirational. Like you just, like, the, the good ones, you are compelled to just forsake everything else in your life and just give yourself completely to that. You know, a, a, a good vision, you're just, it, you want to sacrifice and leave other things behind because what this, you know, this vision is so compelling, so fantastic, so inspirational that you say, I will, I will give sacrificially of time and, and energy and whatnot. I mean, they're, they're just, they inspire you to, to do that. Um, and it's something that, that you want to be a part of. Um, and clarity on vision, mission, that kind of thing. They, they give, they also really give clarity on day-to-day decisions. You know, like I said earlier, we have set amount of manpower and finances, and so where do we allocate uh, volunteers and time and, and money? Um, you know, even with team leaders and our last team leader meeting, we worked on a one-sentence description of success so that each team and each team leader can say, you know, this is the thing that we do. Like th- and this is the thing, like this is, like for instance, with the worship team, with, with the group that gets up here and then when we laid and plan, the phrase that we've been toying around with for a long time is that we want to make it an encounter, not an event. Meaning, when our worship team gets together and plans and schemes and, and, and brainstorms and prays, we want to make this Sunday morning experience an encounter. We want you to encounter the living God we don't want to make it just an event where everything is, you know, okay, everything's organized and timed well and that kind of thing. Like, we want to make it an encounter. So even with our team leaders, you know, at, at, at our last meeting, we worked on just a one sentence, this is what we're trying to do. And, of course, then you kind of fill in some of the details and expand on it. But, um, yeah. And maybe even as, w- as we've been going through this already, you know, maybe you're thinking back to a part of church history or your involvement in another organization or something, and you're like, we did not have clarity 
on what it was that we were trying to accomplish. And I don't, you might have memories of just kind of that pain and that frustration and kind of everyone's rowing separately, you know, well-intentioned, God-honoring stuff, everyone trying to get to the same destination. But, but there just really wasn't clarity on that. And it can be really, really frustrating. Proverbs 29:18 in the King James reads like this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, in the ESV, the, the English Standard Version, which we normally teach out of, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Um, I have heard that verse quoted in so many leadership talks. I, that's just like one of their favorite verses uh, in, in all of Scripture. But, but where there is no vision, everyone does their own thing. You know, everyone is, is rowing separately. My pastor in Abbotsford was also fond of the phrase, um, this, just another cost of no vision, but, but he had this phrase, if you always do what you always did, then you'll always get what you always got. If you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. And, and, and it sounds kind of silly, but I mean, we are perfectly geared and perfectly set up to get the results that we are getting really. Um, but if you want a different result, then you have to try a different method. Um, you know, if, if I walk into a room and for 20 years I flip the light switch and the lights come on, and then one day I flip the light switch and the lights don't come on, you know, I mean, I could sit there and go, it worked yesterday. We're going to do this again. You know, like by the third time you're going to call me crazy, you know. But, but yet I, I mean... There are things in our life where we just stand there by the light switch for like the next four or five years going, just give it some time. It worked before. It'll work again. I know this works. Like just, you know, I just, I need to flip harder or faster or something. Like we can do this. You know, no vision says we flip light switches because that's what we've always done. Clarity around vision says we want light in the room, and so if the light switch isn't working, maybe we check the light bulb. Maybe we hand out flashlights. Maybe I light a candle. We're not sure. The, the method of how the room gets lit up, we're not too worried about. What we're interested in is a well-lit room. Light switch or no light switch. You know, light switch is kind of your strategic plan on how we're going to get there. And if it doesn't work, then you try something else. Okay? But the vision says we would really like to be able to see in this room. So if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. Um, yeah, no vision means that people will sit there and flip a light switch for five years because that's what we do. And vision says the room is dark, we want light, let's figure out a way to get light. One other thing on, on vision and, and, and having a vision statement. When, when you're working to define a, a vision, this is very important, the criteria is not what is worthy the criteria is what is effective. When I was at MB Mission, the, the vision was church planning in the least reached areas of the world. Wasn't evangelism, wasn't feed the hungry, wasn't clothe the naked, wasn't medical response teams, wasn't peace reconciliation teams. It was church planting. Now, I do firmly believe that other organizations are called by God to do those very things. But MB Mission said, we believe that we're called to church planning. But part of that discussion and, and part of 
why they really landed on that was because they felt that church planning was the most effective. There's other stuff that's worthy, but that was the most effective. A missionary couple came forward and they said, we want to start an orphanage. Well, that was kind of a tough decision that they wrestled with. Why? Because the vision was church planting. And orphanages are like super, super worthy causes. I mean, I that's got to be one of the easiest things to fundraise for. Like, I'm like, it's just, you know, everyone loves the, the worthiness of an orphanage. But MB Mission had said that's not as effective as church planting. Because churches will start orphanages, but orphanages won't start churches. Are you following me here? So what they were saying is that if we want to make an impact in 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 a particular country for the long term, we think that the best investment is to plant churches. Because the theory being is that, you know, you go into a country, you plant 10 churches. In 50 years, hopefully those 10 churches will have multiplied and done other things. And those churches are engaged in feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and, you know, uh, petitioning the, the government for change and starting orphanages and that kind of thing. But if they had gone in and planted 10 orphanages in 10 years, they would likely have 10 orphanages. Okay? So, um, so it's very important that, that we distinguish between what is worthy and, and what is effective. And incidentally, they, they planted the orphanage, and it's great, and it's running and thriving and all these great stories. Um, but it is under local, in-country leadership. Um, so in our vision... Uh, it's important that, yeah, that we don't get distracted by the noble and the worthy, but rather that we tenaciously stay focused on what's effective. I mean, 100 years from now, or 140 years from now, right, if we're just kind of midlife here, 140 years from now, what's going to be the most effective? So with all that as a backdrop, what is our vision statement, right? And, I mean, the expectations are probably pretty high. Like, you're assuming I'm just going to speak these words and everyone's going to, like, fall down and weep and empty out wallets and, you know, that kind of thing. It's good, but let's, come on, bear with me here. <laughs> um, so, so we landed on this. Grow disciples and multiply churches. But we want those disciples and we want those churches to do two things really well and to be marked by two things. We want them to be excellent and really marked by, and, and, and a core part of who they are is that they glorify God and they transform communities. Uh, the Glorify God Transform Communities, we're going to talk about that next week. Today we're going to focus in on Grow Disciples Multiply Churches. Um, incidentally, I, I sent this to Jason Queering a while back, and I was like, you know, hey, this is what we're working on. What do you think it, about it? He wrote back, he said, yeah, I like it. There's some, some neat symmetry. Um, and then he also wrote, he goes, you know, discipleship is growing closer, closer to and glorifying God. And the fruit of that is transformation that affects the community and multiplies into the world. And then he says it's so much bigger than just saying, Henderson and B, we're going to help you sin less. You know, so he, he's like, yeah, that's some good stuff. Um, the first thing that we want to do is, is grow disciples. This, the whole discipleship topic, as you may remember, actually started off with about a three-part Sunday school series on what is discipleship. That expanded then into a sermon series on what is discipleship. And all of that has actually been building and laying a foundation for kind of this moment and, and what this is. One of the things about this phrase, and we've wrestled with this a little bit, but, you know, the disciple, discipleship, like that's a Christianese word, 
right? Like, within Christendom, like, we get that word. Outside of Christianity, people are like, what? Like, you know, they're not really going to follow. We, we kind of wrestled with that. But, but so it, it, it is something that, that is really, that we just use within Christianity. And it's, and it's something that, that we really need to define so that we all kind of have a, a similar foundation and base that we're working from. So that's what we've been doing the discipleship series for the last um, however long. You know, after Jesus started, so Jesus was baptized, then he entered full-time ministry. First thing he did was call people to himself. Then, right before he left and disappeared into the sky, he told all the people that he was working with, okay, you go and do the same. First thing he did was call disciples to himself. Last thing he did was told his disciples to go and make disciples. And, and it's always embedded in people, right? He didn't tell them, all right, go write all of this down. And, you know, he, he, you know, like it was, it's meant to be embedded in people. Discipleship is something that is meant to be um, lived out. Um, it's always about the person, and it's always about their relationship with the Lord. And also, disciple may be one of the most concise, distinct, compact, simplified ways, really, I think, of, dis- of, of defining what success looks like for the Christian. I mean, if someone calls you a true disciple, you have a sense that that's a pretty good compliment because they're saying that you, you follow Jesus Christ really well. Uh, the word grow, we looked at different words. We looked at, like, multiply. We looked at create, that kind of thing. It eventually landed on grow. Uh, not only do we grow as disciples, but we want to help others grow as disciple. It's both something that we experience, and it's something that we assist others in. And in fact, if you're not growing, uh, then you're probably not really going to help others grow, right? Because you, you're really probably not going to guide someone past your level of growth. You can help bring them, you know, kind of to where you're at. But, it, but it's pretty hard to take someone beyond what you've achieved. I mean, my time with Trek, I mean, year after year, program after program, you know, one of the dominant things, what dominant things was that your, is that your ministry is a direct outflow of your relationship with Jesus Christ. More than any other factor in your life, more than age, more than education, the thing that will determine your breadth, the depth, the impact of your ministry is actually your own personal relationship with the Lord. So as we grow, we also help others grow. Um, this, ironically for me, the word grow is probably one of the more frustrating words in this because I'm like, that sounds so long. Like, I wanted something a little bit quicker, you know, like, like yeah, just faster, you know. But, but, but grow is... is is good. I mean, growth takes time, cannot be mass-produced. Um, it implies good health. I mean, something has to be healthy for it to grow. Um, so, so I look at word at, at, at grow, and I'm like, any way we can like microwave this, but it's 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 a little bit. Multiply churches. The next thing. Um, so, first thing is grow disciples. If we are growing as disciples, then the next thing that happens is that we multiply churches. Uh, disciples are not meant to live and work in isolation. They need community. They need team. They need collaboration with Christians. Uh, and so we need to, to multiply churches. Not buildings, but just clusters of believers. And it's important that, that we have a focus beyond Henderson. I mean, this has always been a priority for, for Henderson MD. It goes all the way back to our, our history. 
what what exactly this means multiply churches there's kind of a broad spectrum on this and we're just i i just want to spend a year and just you know meet with some people and say let's just kind of plan and study and research what does it mean to multiply churches because there's kind of a wide spectrum on how we do this okay on one side of the, the spectrum is you know we give money to missionaries and we pray for missionaries right which we have a a rich heritage of doing that, and we need to, to do that. Um, next thing over was we're get, we want to get involved. Like, we want to go. We want to experience. You know, we want to learn from and interact, and that's really where we're at now. I mean, we've been sending VBS teams, and I've been taking people out to Utah, and, and you know, we really approach them from, from the, you know, we want to learn from them as well, too. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, and, and this is where it, it uh, I wrestle with this, but this is also our heritage, is that we take a certain degree of responsibility for the community surrounding us, not just Henderson. When I first got here, I thought, all right, Henderson's our gig. We're not really going to do anything outside Henderson. Uh, and now I'm like, ooh, uh, I may need to repent uh, on that one. Um, when Henderson and B was founded, they also started up station churches. Um, they had they were in Sutton. Okay, so this this church was started in 1878. Yes, they started up a station church in Sutton in 1878, one in Hastings in 1879, one in Culbertson 1879. I had to look that one up on a map. That is 189 miles east of here. How long does that take in like horse and buggy? Like now it's going to take me three hours. But back then to do a church plant, that's like. I'm going to ride my horse for three months because those people need Jesus. And then I'll come. Like, good heavens, people. Um, El Dorado, they started that one in, in 1903. Um, in 1883, Johan was given the responsibility of evangelizing other Germans of Nebraska for three months of the year. They just, look, here's some money. You evangelize three months out of the year. Do this. Then they said, it, it says, you know, they also did other extension efforts in Lincoln, Nebraska, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yeah, I mean, so um, that's this side of the spectrum is a little bit. We're just going to take the year and just kind of pray about that. Okay, um, we're over here. That's good. That's very cozy. That's comfortable. I I, I like that. Um, but but we need we need to think about that. And you know, folks, it really I really didn't have clarity on this whole vision statement until I started reading up on our history. Not like recent history, like forty years like founding history this um many many of you may have remember this this book that, that was put together uh in 1978 this was so helpful to be able to, to to go back and say what was this founded on this whole vision statement this is nothing new it's not this, these are the principles that our church was founded on 140 years ago i am not saying hey let's do a new thing I'm saying we should, let's go back to our roots. We just, like, tweaked the wording a little bit. And, and so as, as we kind of move forward on this, this, this is not a new thing. This is, let's just fan into flame kind of those original coals, the original foundation that this church was established on uh, 140 years ago. And one of the remarkable things is, is that when God gives a vision to kind of the, the, the founding fathers, you can come back a hundred years later and that will take off so easily and, and so fast with just very little effort because that was 
that was God's original vision for them. So, um, yeah, n- nothing new, really, out of all of this. Um, you know, the, the vision is 140 years ago, but, but the people of 2016 will require a 2016 strategy. That, that's really all that's, that's kind of, of happening here. Folks, we live in a town of 1,000 people, roughly. Uh, when Joanne and I were first pondering coming here, we're like, 1,000 people, three churches? I mean, each church hits 333, like you're done. Like, what else is there to do, you know? Um, multiple times we've gone door-to-door, handed out cookies, baking, and said, hey, we're having a special event. Why don't you fill out? Um, we, like, we didn't take surveys, but I would just say, on average, rough estimate, as we go door-to-door, on a Sunday morning, one in four homes will have someone answer the door. Meaning that in this town, a very Christian town, one in four homes or families don't have a church home. I mean, the reason we did this on Sunday morning was because all the church people are at church. We're not interested in people who already have a church home, right? We want to say, hey, who doesn't have a church home? Let's connect with them. So even in this town, we're looking at one in four don't have a church home. York County is estimated to have 13,800 people roughly 20 churches within York County. If all 20 churches are healthy, thriving, Bible-based, God-centered, we love Jesus, Scripture is true, the Holy Spirit actually exists, you know, we want to welcome people. If all 20 churches are healthy churches, then each church has a responsibility for 690 people. that's assuming they're all healthy and that and that's not even 190 miles east so what culbert center or something yeah like that's just york county and we're kind of in the corner of york county i mean that's not even figuring everything to the west and to the south there's no shortage of work to do and and it's and i i've really been wrestling with this quite a bit because I'm not really aware of a lot of church planning organizations that are saying, man, rural Nebraska, we got to get in there and get it done. Most of your church planning organizations are targeting big cities because big cities tend to be the influencers. Most of the time, out of your big cities is, is really kind of where your influence for culture comes for a country. Maybe a little bit frustrating, but that's just kind of how things are. Not a lot of people are saying rural Nebraska, you know, like that, that's our thing. And so, but for us, I mean, this is an environment. This is our home. I mean, who understands rural Nebraska better than, like, oh, the people who live in rural Nebraska, right? And so I've really been, been wrestling with this a lot to say, is God calling us to kind of reignite this, this based in church thing and to take a responsibility outside just Henderson? Now, how we do that, I don't know, all right? I have a lot of books to read. And so do you. Like, we have a lot to figure out, people. But first we need to say, like, is that our vision? And is God calling us to that? So, um, some big stuff. This will uh, not be easy. Um, Thomas Rayner is a church researcher. He, he wrote a book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Um, but And, and, and they, they kind of characterize kind of some different things. But... But out of that, he said, really, you know, the number one indicator of a dead or dying church is that they are inward focused. That, that is really the thing that will determine whether or not a church lives or dies. 
And it'll, I mean, they won't die fast. It'll be like this really slow, long, like small churches can last forever. But, but really kind of the, the determining thing is an inward focus. Um, there's no interest in evangelism, no interest in the community. Um, prayer is only for members and members' families. Uh, it's focused on how to keep everyone happy. And, and it's easy in the short run. It feels more comfortable in the short run to just say we're just going to focus in on ourselves. But the thing, though, is that it does actually guarantee in the long run your demise. I mean, when I was in, uh, there was a, a, a place right across the, the border. Uh, someone had bought an old church building that had turned that had closed down, and they turned it into a restaurant and bar, and they called it, like, Holy Smoke Bar and Pub or something. We would have a sweet facility for a restaurant for sure now. Like, with that kitchen, that open space, you do some creative stuff in here. Um, yeah, so, like, a good entrepreneur could do a lot of things. the leadership board, or on one of our retreats, we talked about, if you had any two wishes for this church, what would it be? I heard things like more visits to missionaries, more community events outside our walls, an attendance over 200, a place where people feel incredibly free in worship on Sundays, large enthusiastic youth ministry, kids ministry, a place where everyone has at least two Christian friends, a strong prayer culture, a strong sense of hospitality and community and belonging to plant ch church other churches out of this one where we have a, 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 a healthy, um, good kind of conflict reconciliation process on how to work through our differences and tensions and a really good coffee bar. Some good vision right there. Those some good, every one of them, good God-sized vision. A word of encouragement over this. Uh, over the last several years, myself, the leadership team, we've been working on this. About two meetings ago, a as we were looking at this, someone piped up and they said, leadership development, what about leadership development? We, we really need to have leadership development as part of this. I was like, yeah, that really, yeah, that's a really good point. Like we, somewhere in this, leadership development needs to be a key thing of what we do. Whether we retweet this and it goes in the vision statement, whether it's part of the other things, values, strategic plan, that other, like leadership development needs to be and that was really kind of the only suggestion. We need leadership development. Well, a few weeks ago, we had the National Leadership Conference where, where the National MD Leadership Board uh, came together. And for the last two years, they have been working to really kind of reemphasize, restructure, and say, what's our direction for the future? You know, we're not really sure this has been working. We kind of need to just wipe the marker board clean and figure out what is it that we're going to do. So they've been having in-depth research and conversations and that kind of thing the past two years. Then they show up in Denver and they said, all right, two years of work. These are the three things that we want to focus on. I kid you not. They got up there and they said, we want to multiply disciples. We want to plant churches. And we want to develop leaders. And to be able to see that synergy between what is God calling us to do and at the national level, what is God calling MDs to do is just really neat. And actually, I'm now part of that board, and so I'm just going to steal all their material and bring it back. <laughs> but but it also kind of creates a neat synergy to be able to say, okay, like, how's this looking at the national level? Like, let's try this at the local level. You know, there's kind of some neat crossover that's going on. That's going to happen. Last story. Um, 
my dad was was a pastor for um, for several years, and uh, when he was first getting started, um, there was some church, and they wanted they had like a mission for emphasis week or something like that. I think dad was still in seminary, and so he took his three sermons and watered them down and stretched them out into a seven week series and ten lesson thing. And uh, but while he was there, he stayed with the with the teen couple, kind of this random gentle couple, and so he was there every night. And uh, and one night, you know, the photo album comes on, and they start flipping through the photo album and you know family pictures and and that kind of thing. But as they were flipping through the photo album, Dad noticed that that like certain years were missing, right? So it was like m- mainly family pictures, but certain years were missing. Like they had skipped a few here or there, that kind of thing. And so, well, you know, what happened to the kids? And so they 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 shared the story. So what would happen is that every year they would take a family photo. But some years were better than others, right? I mean, you guys know the storyline. I mean, the crops were good, and it rained, and prices were high, and that kind of thing. So some years, they, they took their family photos that, that they had done, and they had copies made, and they passed them out, you know, kind of as a Christmas card, that kind of thing. But some years weren't so good. Prices were low, no rain, that kind of deal. And, and, and so they, they, you know, they still had their family photo. They always took a family photo, but they just they just kept it, right? They... They weren't able to kind of mass produce it and, and get away with it and so on. Well, one day they come home after church and the house is engulfed in flames. Dad runs in the door, gets an armful of clothing out of the front closet, and that's it. Everything else is lost, completely lost. Um, small community. Um, I don't know if they had insurance. I mean, this would have been uh, many years ago. Um, but they did for my dad. He's younger now. I mean, earlier than that. Um, but you know, small town community, people rallied around, you know, like, like, you know, and so little Timmy had, you know, the same size as little Bobby, and so someone, they bring over some clothes, and, and someone had a, a freezer or a fridge that they were needing, and, and they brought it over, and so people started to, to bring stuff for the family, you know, to, to kind of rebuild their lives. Well, one of the things that they started to bring was the church, because all that had been lost in the fire. And so as they were sitting there, flipping through this photo album, the only pictures they had were the ones they gave away. Folks, Christianity, everything that we believe and do and exist is that we have what you did not have. To be a Christian is to possess that which you have not lost. It's to, 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 like, I mean, everything was given to you. And so let's not hoard this to ourselves. Um, the parable of the servants, right? Gives them talents to each one. One, buries it. Two, use it and multiply it, right? Let's take what we were given. Let's actively multiply it. Like, let's give it away. And it multiplies it as we give it away. What we have been given is far too precious to keep to ourselves. It needs to be given away. And the best way to do that, we believe, is to grow disciples and make disciples. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, uh, in some ways it, it, it feels like we're kind of standing on the edge of, of, of something new and yet, God, really, we're just trying to reinvigorate something that's 140 years old. God, this, this, this isn't anything clever that we came up with. 
we just did some history and say, wow, when, when, when you first gave the vision to kind of our spiritual founding fathers, as, as we look at what they engaged in and what they did, our, our modern terminology is we would say that they grew disciples and trained and multiplied churches. And so, God, that's our heart cry now, that we would engage in this, that we would be faithful in this, that you would lead us, God. I mean, now so much work on how do we make that happen? How do we take this time? How do we bring that about? God, thank you for calling us to you. God, thank you that, that, that all the good things in our life we didn't earn, they were just given. And God, we want to give those away. We want to give those away almost recklessly. 